You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catholic Saints. I'm Taylor Kemp, the director of Formed, and with me today is Dr. Christopher Mooney. Thanks for having me, Taylor. I almost hazarded your middle name there, and I decided not to. (laughs) Dr. Mooney, uh, it is great to have you. You're a professor here at the Graduate School, and today we are talking about St. Gregory Nazianzus. So uh, where should we begin to learn about this saint? Well, uh, maybe I can say a little bit about his biography. Um, I think Gregory's life is uh, is a nice sort of prelude to get to know him. So Mm -hmm. Gregory lived during the 4th century in the East in a period that's often thought of as the golden age of patristic theology, okay. um, the theology of the father. So he died around 390, was born around 330. Um, his uh, father before him was a bishop. Now that um, sounds weird to us today, but uh, you know, um, clerical and episcopal celibacy wasn't as established then. So it's but good his, to point that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but his father was actually converted by his mother, and then his father became bishop. And Gregory's called Gregory of Nazianzus because their family estate was near Nazianzus, which is um, a small was a small town in uh, modern-day Turkey called okay. Cappadocia. Okay. Um, so Is he one of the Cappadocians? He's one of the Cappadocians, that's right, yeah, along with um, Basil of Caesarea and mm-hmm. Gregory of Nyssa. Um, so Gregory um, you know, grew up in a Christian family. His father was the bishop. And um, like a lot of you know, well-to-do Romans of the time, um, his father had, his family had ambitious plans of education for him. He went to all the greatest cities in the eastern part of the empire to study, um, though it was on his way to Athens that he had a major conversion hmm. um, during a storm. Um, he prayed that he would dedicate his entire life to Christ. Um, and Athens is really where he had, you know, the highlight of his education in philosophy and in rhetoric, which would have been the two sort of most important arts. He was actually classmates with one of the other Cappadocians, mm-hmm. um, Basil, and with uh, a man who would later become the Roman emperor, Julian, um, oh, wow. also known as Julian the Apostate. Um, oh, yes. So interesting to know that Julian and Gregory were classmates in a way in Athens. Oh, um, can I ask a quick question? Mm-hmm. So you said he had his conversion during the storm, but you said he was brought up Christian. Did he not like yeah, I buy think, uh, into it um, kind of, or he needed like that more personal? A, a kind of full Got commitment it. of his own, yeah. I think what we, we see this reflected in the fact that when Gregory comes back home, he starts to live a semi-monastic life. Um, uh, you know, he spends time with... Um, with his dear friend Basil, and they um, are living a kind of quasi-monastic life together. They're reading um, the works of some of the fathers before them Mm -hmm. and compiling them. So they're living a kind of contemplative, prayerful, philosophical, Mm -hmm. and religious life. Um, But then, uh, contrary to what he wanted, his father ordains him. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, at first, uh, Gregory flees after he's ordained. Um, Interesting. And he's he's kind of... uh, um, afraid and resentful at having been ordained, um, but he comes back uh, quickly after that, and then eventually he becomes a bishop on his own, uh, uh, and uh, he's made bishop of a small um, podunk town, um, uh, though um, that doesn't last for long because 
uh, he eventually becomes the Bishop of Constantinople, um, one of the most important major, major in city, the empire yeah. at the time. He's actually Bishop um, during the third, um, sorry, excuse me, the um, second ecumenical council, the Council of Constantinople um, in 381. Um, though uh, Gregory personally makes it very clear that he hated the council. <laughs> um, he had a miserable time and hated all of the politics. Um, so he actually resigns as uh -huh. Bishop of Constantinople and moves back to Nazianzus, okay. um, where he spends the rest of his life and dies in 390. Wow. It, I, I was just thinking about that second conversion that you were talking about. It reminds me a lot of um, in the there's a lot of spiritual writers that talk about the multiple stages of conversions where yeah. you have Peter and the apostles who are called by Christ and they drop their nets and they follow yes. him. But then yeah. there's, there's there's still those other levels of full commitment, whether that's uh, Peter has to, you know, confront his sins and recommit mm -hmm. his love to the Lord and then Pentecost. So it, it kind of reminded me of that. Of And it, I found it particularly pertinent probably for parents who are bringing kids up in the faith. And at some point you're looking for that moment for your, your kids to like really say like, yeah, yep, yeah. I'm going to give my life yeah. personally to Christ. There is a bit of bad news though when it oh, comes no. to Gregory's biography, which is a lot of scholars who spend a lot of time with Gregory, uh -huh. you know, historians and such, they don't like him all that much. How come? Um, well, uh, Gregory sometimes comes across as a little um, uh, like he wasn't the easiest to take along with, kind of held some huh. grudges. Uh, if I can share a, a, a quote. Um, the saints are prickly. This, this is, is good the, news. Some of the saints are, are prickly actually is, this good, is news. good news. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is from uh, um, a writer, Lionel Wickham, in this introduction to this volume. He says, indeed, of all the great patristic writers, Latin and Greek, Gregory is second only to Augustine of Hippo in the degree of self-revelation he permits himself. Gregory wrote these autobiographical mm -hmm. um, poems. Um, uh, he is second only to Augustine of Hippo in the degree of self-revelation he permits himself, if less often to his advantage. For if I could wish to have known Augustine even better, I feel I know Gregory enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is a very um, This is a good line. It's funny. Um, so uh, Gregory um, uh, is uh, someone also called him a hothouse flower. He sort of had, sometimes he held these grudges. Um, there are instances where he preaches against people that uh -huh. he didn't quite like. Um, so that's the bad news. Um, bad but news. it is maybe good news, as you mentioned, because it shows that um, psychology is not an impediment to sanctity. Uh -huh. So, um, you know, just because Gregory had this disposition. But I want to say that if that's on the one hand, there's good news on the other hand, okay. which is if that's maybe how some scholars look at him, and maybe, you know, if you ever hear someone talk about Gregory, they might say something like that. I guess I just did. Um, <laughs> but um, that's first. not how the tradition knows him. The okay. tradition knows him in a very different way. The tradition knows him under one simple, solemn title, the theologian. Mm, uh, it's a good only, title. It's a good title, yeah. And he has great company too, because in the whole Eastern tradition, mm -hmm. there are only three people total who get the title, the theologian. Um, one is the 10th century. Oh, sure, go for it. Oh, uh, you just said 10th Sorry, century. Yeah. All right, one I think is Aquinas. In the Eastern tradition. Okay, well, so, not the one you're saying, but I think yeah, one's only, Aquinas. Well, it's only the Eastern tradition. Oh, it's only the Eastern yeah. tradition. Oh, we're, th this makes it much harder. I'm going to not waste the, the listener's time here. And we're going <laughs> to hazard a guest at, uh, no, Albert was on the West and he was, a, so, okay, I'm not even going to guess. All right, these are these are hard ones. One's a 10th century theologian named St. Simeon, the new theologian. Nope, didn't know that um, one. Yeah, that's number two. And number one, perhaps uh, the most august company you could have among theologians is uh, St. John, the apostle. Oh. So the three people who are called the theologian mm -hmm. are the gospel writer, Gregory, and one other person. That's so, a, yeah, it's a nice. Um, so Gregory has this title. You know, um, a lot of Catholics might know of, uh, of course, probably if they're listening to this, they certainly know of Saint Augustine. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, as St. Augustine is to the West, Gregory is to the East. Yeah, um, that's a big... Gregory has such a profound impact on the history of Eastern theology, especially because mm. of his, um, his, his writings, but maybe even more his preaching mm. on the Trinity. Uh, I was just going to ask, okay, what were the particular points of theology that he was known for yeah, preaching Yeah, Gregory on? was known for having been such um, a tremendous defender of the Trinity. I, um, Which I is a big a couple... deal for how early he is, too, because mm-hmm. it's not yeah. like... I, I brought a couple books, if that's okay. I'm not sure Please, if no, people, people can see these. Are they right. love show and tell. Um, j- tell them just the title. Yeah, so one's called On God in Christ. The other is called Festal Orations. They're these nice little series called um, put out by SVS Press called Popular Patristics. And these are some of his, um, uh, his homilies. They're called orations. Um, because Gregory took the great training he had as an order mm-hmm. um, and applied it to the art of preaching. Um, so if I can give an example, because yep. um, in my view, Gregory is, this is my, my, maybe my own personal, uh, my own personal affection, um, but I think Gregory is the greatest of all patristic preachers. Wow. Um, Augustine's a great preacher. Yeah. There are many other great preachers. I think Gregory is the best. Wow. Um, here's just an he example. He may be prickly. He may be but prickly, he's a great preacher. but he's a great preacher. Here's an example from his, um, one of his Christmas homilies. Okay. Um, so this is on the Nativity of Christ. It's called Oration 38. He says, Christ is born, give glory. Christ is from the heavens, go to meet him. Christ is on earth, be lifted up. Sing to the Lord all the earth, and to say both together, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice, for the heavenly one is now earthly. Christ is in the flesh, exult with trembling and joy, trembling because of sin, joy because of hope. Christ comes from a virgin. Women, practice virginity, that you may become mothers of Christ. Who would not worship the one from the beginning? Who would not glorify the last? Again, the darkness is dissolved. Again, the light is established. Again, Egypt is punished by darkness. Again, Israel is illumined by a pillar. All these sorts of mm-hmm. contrasts and um, ways that, that Gregory puts it. To go on a little bit further, he says, I myself will proclaim the power of this day, Christmas, that is. The fleshless one takes flesh. The word is made coarse. The invisible one is seen. The impalpable one is touched. The timeless one makes a beginning. The son of God becomes son of man. Jesus Christ, to the same yesterday and today and for the ages. It's good. It's good. Could, yeah. He's got a rhetorical flair. That's he does. For sure. yeah. It's yeah. definitely you. You have to kind of um, you have to like the contrast. You do. And the, yeah. And the rhetoric. Um, you know, I, I maybe it wouldn't preach every Sunday today, but um, it's pretty awesome. But if I if I may give one other mm-hmm. point that Gregory says, he's commenting on Christmas and he says, look, you know, how is it that everyone celebrates um, the feast of Christmas? He says, let it be for pagans to have um, great, to, to let their feasting be only focused on um, great banquets and, and festivities. He says, what is our feasting? He says, um, but if, if we, for whom the word is an object of worship, must somehow have luxury, let us have as our luxury the word and the divine law and narratives, especially those mm. that form the basis of the present feast, that our luxury may be akin and not foreign to the one who has called us. Would you like me, for I am your host today, to set before you, my good guests, a discourse as abundant and lavish as possible, that you may know how a stranger can feed the local inhabitants, and a rustic the city dwellers, and one without luxury the luxurious, and one poor and homeless those brilliant in wealth? Gregory thinks that the feast he is offering them on Christmas is his homily. Yeah. Um, Because... In his preaching, he will draw them to think about Christ. Himself. Yeah, and, it's, and he's pulling from scripture. It's a it, from scripture. it is really yes. beautiful. Um, yeah, I think one of the things we see from from Gregory, if, if um, you know, if if Gregory is one of the greatest of um, 
the, the greatest early Christian preachers, mm -hmm. if he took all of the skills that he had as an order, you see something similar with Augustine, mm -hmm. who had these great skills in his secular learning and put them to the task of, uh, you know, his Christian work. Um, I think Gregory, we can, we can think of Gregory as, as a great theologian who also thought that being a great theologian meant going hand to hand with being a great pastor. Mm. Um, with green, being, and, and particularly, I think with being a great preacher, um, Gregory, uh, as, as, as his orations demonstrate, Gregory cared about uh, the potential that in preaching, he could give people a feast of words, a mm -hmm. feast of ideas, a feast that's not just sort of um, like a game or just academics, yeah. but a feast of words, meaning the words of scripture, yeah. a feast of ideas, meaning the ideas of God. Um, and so if, um, you know, if we were to think what's one of the, what's one of the takeaways we could have from, from Gregory today, I think it would be, um, we should pray to Gregory for more preachers, yeah, was, um, yeah. for people who love to preach the word. Mm -hmm. Um, I think St. Gregory in heaven would be glad to hear these prayers. Yep. Um, so, um, uh, you, I, I think of him, he, he's not officially, but I think of him as kind of like a patron saint of preachers. No, I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, is he the patron saint of preachers? <laughs> but he should be. But as St. Paul says, faith comes through hearing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just so important. Um, oh, I mean, you know, we're, we're all quite fortunate here at the Augustine Institute to be able to work at a place where we get to spend much of our time connected to things like scripture. But the majority of the people out there that are watching this, you, you have a regular day job or you're at home and you don't get to be spending as much time in this. And so like the Sunday homily is so important. Yeah. yeah. Um, being able to share, you know, with a small group, talk about scripture, but that it's just so important to proclaim, to share the word of God. And he is a, he is a great model for that. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to challenge you. Uh, so you gave us a, a, a nice takeaway, patron of preachers. He would be happy in heaven if we prayed to him to, to increase the ability for preachers uh, to proclaim the gospel. Do you have anything, would you, would you recommend, what would, what would say Gregory want for, uh, us in our everyday life? Would you say? Ooh, good question. You know, in a way, um, I think one dimension of that, uh, I kind of already gave, um, mm -hmm. in so far as, um, he wants us to, to feed on the word. He wants mm -hmm. us to know, he want, and, and the word, both in the sense of the word of God in scripture and the word meaning, um, you know, the, the word of God who became flesh mm -hmm. as Christ. Um, so um, maybe one other thing I could think of is, is Gregory also, you know, he I said earlier that he lived and was often thought of as um, the golden age of patristic, the golden age of early Christian theology in the fourth century, the same time that the other Cappadocians lived, the same time that Augustine was born, same mm -hmm. time as Ambrose. Um, but, you know, so many of these pastors, they care deeply about issues of the truth. Um, there's a, there's a um, famous quote where Gregory says that in Constantinople, he says something like, you know, um, you can't get your hair cut without the barber asking you whether the son is consubstantial with the father. You know, these oh, debates were so... What a, what a so, different day <laughs> what a than, different what, day. than yeah. we are in. That's awesome. Um, but there were so many fights about the truth yeah. and about the correct understanding of scripture. Uh, I think Gregory would want us to hold fast to the truth. Mm -hmm. um, can I give another example of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So one of my favorite um, lines from Gregory is actually not from, and I think one of Gregory's most famous lines is actually not from one of his homilies. It's from a letter he wrote, mm -hmm. um, and I brought this as well. So, um, but this is, a, this is a, a, a great passage. He's talking about a controversy about um, Jesus's humanity mm -hmm. um, with, uh, with a guy named Apollinarius, another, another bishop. Um, a heresy is now named after him, so maybe that mm -hmm. gives a little hint in advance. But um, 
He says, Gregory, this is the line. I, I, won't, I won't rehash the whole thing, but, but this is the line that Gregory says that I think we can, um, you know, uh, contemplate. He says, that which is not assumed is not healed, but what is united with God is also being saved. Had half of Adam fallen, what was assumed in his being saved would have been half too. Mm. But if the whole fell, he is united to the whole of what was born and is being saved in whole. Um, so how do we think about the incarnation, mm -hmm. about the Son of God becoming man? One of the things that Gregory drives home is we recognize that part of the importance of the incarnation is Christ took on a whole humanity. Mm -hmm. And the reason he takes on a whole humanity, you know, he doesn't just sort of walk around looking like a human being, mm -hmm. like a, a, a you know, a sci-fi projection or a hologram or something. He takes on a real and whole humanity, just like mine. And the reason is because my whole humanity needs healing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what Gregory says. If, if he hadn't taken on a whole humanity, my whole humanity wouldn't be healed. If Adam had only half fallen, if we were only half sinners, you know, like I, I'm, I'm sinful over here, but not over here, or it, you know, it affects my body, but not my mind, um, then maybe Christ would have only been half human. Mm -hmm. But he became wholly mm -hmm. human to wholly save us. And I think maybe that, that comes back to another, you know, a pastoral point, um, as you were asking, and um, a point of why Gregor cares about us holding fast to the faith is because we get to rejoice in and cling to and proclaim the good news that, this, that, that God himself took on a whole humanity mm -hmm. because I find brokenness in every part Everywhere, of me. Everywhere, yeah. Every part of me. And so Christ assumed the whole in order to save the whole. And I think that's something worth being grateful for. That is something worth being grateful for. It is, it is, that is a beautiful passage. I did not, I've heard, I've heard that what, that which was not assumed was not mm -hmm. saved. I didn't realize that was him. So, that was him. Yeah. Um, that it's is one a, of the letters in this, uh, in this volume. Yeah, so. that is, that is great. So thank you, Dr. Mooney for unpacking St. Gregory of Nazianzus. I also wanted to give a plug to everyone out there as Dr. Mooney was mentioning that maybe the message St. Gregory would have for us today is, you know, one of the many is to spend time in scripture. Mm -hmm. um, if you're looking for a little bit of an aid to do that, um, our president here at the Augusta Institute is Dr. Tim Gray. He's a scripture scholar, and he films every day something called Daily Reflections with Dr. Tim Gray. They're totally free. Uh, you don't have to have a subscription. You can just put in your information. Go to daily.formed.org, and Dr. Gray walks through the mass readings every day and gives commentary on them. So that's mm -hmm. one way. If you're looking for a little intro in, he gives commentary. They're they're one of our most beloved pieces of content here, so you can check them out. Um, Dr. Mooney, thank you. That was, that was wonderful. I learned a lot, so hopefully the people out there did too. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you next time on Catholic Saints. Thank you for being a dedicated listener to the Catholic Saints podcast. Your support truly uplifts us. For those seeking additional thought-provoking content, go to formed.org. It's a platform brimming with resources, including insightful videos that align seamlessly with our podcast's themes. If you're finding value in our podcast, please consider taking a moment to leave us a review. Your feedback serves as a cornerstone for our growth and outreach. <laughs>